You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. How important is it to start out 1-0 in the division in the NFL? It's a question so important that only the Hidden Yardage Podcast could answer it. You're listening to Mark Lane and Sean Martin break down the week one before it happens to the Dallas Cowboys on the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network. Hey, Sean, how you doing? Hey, yeah, not to, you know, overstate it for any of our new listeners and hype this up to a point that we can't possibly maintain before the season even kicks off, but you, know, you mentioned getting ahead of things and predicting things before it happens. It's, that's definitely kind of our MO here on Hidden Yardage. I mean, we, uh, not to brag, like I said, but have a good track record of, of that going. But this episode specifically should get pretty interesting for any fans that, you know, follow on Twitter or other social media apps and see what I've been doing. I've had my Cowboy boots down on the ground in the Cowboys' home state, as we know, where I like to preferably record from for only about an hour at the time of this recording. So uh, we're going to hope to have a little bit of fun. But yeah, it's great to be back with you, Mark. I was back home extending. I, you know, I mentioned on the episode I did with Jess Haney that I think me and you were both collectively you know, stretching the preseason as much as we could as far as travel and different things going on. And we really kind of, uh, you know, stretched it to, to the limit. And I decided to just push that limit as much as we could and go to the site that the Cowboys will be playing this first game, which is, of course, MetLife Stadium, five time against the Giants division game. Week one, about to get into it. But I decided to go scout out the stadium for something that I think is much better use of MetLife Stadium than a football game. It's not a terrific place to see a football game, in my honest opinion, but it is an amazing place to see a concert, especially when that concert is New Jersey's own Bruce Springsteen, and I had the honor of being at two of his shows this past week, so can't say enough about how much that meant, of course, to uh, you know see it with one time with family, see him one time with friends, and the music world is mourning the loss of Jimmy Buffett this week as well, and you know you, it really puts it in perspective when it comes to you know the age that Buffett was, of course, and Springsteen being relatively in that same range and seeing him up there for two and a half, almost three hours each night without much of a break, playing these songs for his people, for his home state, and you know, letting the crowd get into it along the way as well. So uh, certainly happy to squeeze every last drop of the preseason out in a way of seeing Springsteen for the first time. His first New Jersey base shows in I think six, seven years, and I was there whenever that was, but yeah, his first MetLife shows and a very long time and certainly did not disappoint. He played three times over Labor Day weekend. I was at two of them, Wednesday and Friday. He played Sunday, but I had to make it back to uh, come do this show. So, yeah, two Springsteen shows, and I think that's enough to uh, get us ready for now football season at MetLife Stadium, Cowboys-Giants. And if you want to tell Sean Martin at Sean Martin NFL on Twitter um, who your favorite 
drummer from uh the late night with Conan O'Brien on NBC, who your favorite drummer was from that in his relation to Bruce Springsteen. Like I said, tell Sean Martin at Sean Martin NFL. And if you want to tell me where I can find a great pork roll sandwich in the state of New Jersey, let me, Mark Lane, know at the real Mark Lane on Twitter. But Sean, um, this one and no talk in the division, I think, is I understand why there'd be a race to get to one and oh in the NFC East. But what's interesting is the last time the Cowboys have done it, 2019, 2017, incidentally beating the New York Giants in the process, resulted in missing the playoffs. You want to know what happened when the Cowboys started 0-1 in the division? Oh my goodness, and the world's going to burn down? 2016, lost to the Giants, mm-hmm. and they ended up winning the playoffs. They went 13-3 and in Dak Prescott's rookie season. So, you know, some of this, I think, is uh, just a little bit of the excitement, kind of a prematurity, because there's this anticipation for the season. But really, you have to look at the construction of the division games throughout the you know the entire schedule so it really if you are playing three or four division games you know in that stretch from thanksgiving to the end then going one and zero in the division well even losing isn't really that big of an issue but if your division games are stacked in a manner where you've got a paucity of division games during that stretch. Well, yeah, maybe going, you know, starting off on a good foot really helps things. But with Dallas, I think with their schedule, the way it's constructed, they could afford to drop, heaven forbid, for anyone donning the silver and blue uh the the game against the giants because that's week one and their next division game doesn't occur until week 10 i'm sorry week nine with philadelphia and then new york the week thereafter and then two weeks later week 12 you have washington on Thanksgiving. So in terms of how significant the contests are relative to the division, I think that week nine through weeks 12 stretch will tell the tale as to Dallas's uh, foothold and placement within the division more so than this week one matchup. Yeah, that's a great point. I think that, you know, it, it touches on a theme that, We've hit on slightly before we're talking about other teams and comparing them to the Cowboys, but you know, I don't want to make this sound naive and say that Cowboys fans are new to, you know, trying to talk about this team as a true bona fide Super Bowl contender, which means you both legitimately think that they could at least start to show that they are, you know, this season. And one of those themes I think usually the Patriots is a team we kinda of use as this example, not 
necessarily for very recent history, but just going back to the Patriots dynasty years, is that you have to understand the NFL season, you know, is really broken into, you know, however you want to break it down. Of course, it used to be 16 now to 17 games. Changes how you can nice, how you used to be able to nice and evenly divide it. But point being, the team you field in the beginning of the year should be drastically different, basically, to the team that you're going to play in this year's case with the way the division games fall. The team you could actually play your meaningful divisional games against. You know, I'm not saying. We shouldn't, you know, expect this team to come out hot and we shouldn't expect, you know, wins in September and starting off 1-0. Yeah, that'll all be part of the expectation, but it's going to be a development. It's going to be with the goal in mind of playing your best football in February and end of January, which we haven't talked about this team quite in that context for quite a while. So I understand it's new territory and you want to say, you know, oh, we're just going to go from September to February playing our best football. And I'm right there with you on the excitement. Don't get me wrong. Like I said, I was jumping up and down, jumping up and down in my cowboy boots for two and a half hours twice this weekend at the exact stadium that the Cowboys will be playing. So I'm with you on, you know, wanting to start this thing off right and the excitement of college football being back is a great little appetizer too. But you know, I do think there is some significance more than you stated there when it comes to starting 1-0. You mentioned 2016 is the only recent year where they've won the division, starting 0-1, and they finished 3-3. and But as far as more relevant recent history goes in the NFC East, you know, 2018 through 2021 is a pretty good stretch to look at when it comes to, you know, current players and current quarterbacks all being in place and knowing what this division is. In 2018, you started to 1 0 in the division, finished 5 1, and then of course 2021, 6 0 in the division. So it has taken almost a perfect or near perfect division record for the Cowboys to win the last two times they did win the NFC East in 2018 and 21. 16 was the exception, and then I'm kind of going back into a stretch at this point to say 2014 is recent enough history. It's recent enough in terms of, you know, philosophy wise, team building, run the ball. That was kind of cemented in 2014, but certainly the core of those players aren't still here. And the 2014 team started 1-0 in the Division 2 and finished 4-2 and overall. So, yeah, there is some significance to making sure you get off on the right foot against the Giants. But for a team that we want to talk about still playing games in February, if they start 0-1, certainly you're not going to hear us coming on here and you know telling you to jump off a bridge or anything like that. So context-wise, we'll put it into perspective, but... Yeah, it's a game you want to have. It's a game that simply by just having Dak Prescott on the field, you feel like you will have because that's his track record in the NFC East. And I know we've covered that extensively this week at Boggy the Boys, but it goes beyond just Dak Prescott. It's everything they've done around him this offseason. It's another step for the defense, being able to play ahead of Daniel Jones. It's a lot of things favorable for this matchup to want you to start 1-0 but understanding that 0-1 isn't a death sentence for a team that can do a lot of work later in the year. And I don't think it's a death sentence just because it's 0-1 and to the Giants and, like I said, in the division because you still have a lot of ground that you can make up. For example, if they stave off the sweep to the Giants in week 10 after coming off of a win well now you're two and one and then everybody else is also dealing with either um at you know below 500 at 500 
relative to their division record record okay relative to their division record so um yeah i i think that that's really going to be kind of the stretch right there i think it's just a momentum boost naturally to get off to that 1 and 0 start in the division but i really think that sailing through that early <laughs> sailing through november I mean, that's really where the division's going to be won and lost is within that. Because then after that, you get the Eagles in week 14 and then Washington to finish things up. And and maybe that's where this all goes is the division won't be wrapped up until Dallas-Washington week 18. And wouldn't the NFL schedule makers and the uh, the TV executives and even Jerry Jones love that? I think some of the manufactured pressure for the Cowboys having to beat the Giants in the media, at least, you know, right here in week one, is also, of course, because the Eagles, you know, went to the Super Bowl, reigning NFC champions, and that's expected to be the bigger competition. So, you know, you can almost picture the headlines already. If you do drop this game, if you're Dallas and you're losing New York week one, it's like, well, how do they expect to beat Philly? They couldn't even beat New York, and, you know, they're the third best team, but again, hidden yardage, we get ahead of things. You know, me and you have both been talking about the Giants as an up-and-coming team, even as early as last year, where it was fringe if they make the playoffs tonight, and they did, and they beat Minnesota, Kirk Cousins, all that really going well for Brian Dable's team. So I still do like this matchup for the Cowboys and expect them to win. I'm not going to, you know, go as far as saying the Giants should be favored in this game just because they're home and they're not at the moment, of course. Don't expect that to change before Sunday. And it's a good test for, you know, if you had to pick the two spots on this defense, on this team right now for the Cowboys that you have the most concern about, do you really want to see get worked out and get tested so that we know it can be fixed by the time the games mean even more? It's offensive line depth and then the second level of Dan Quinn's defense and the linebacker position and how you match up in the middle of the field. Well, offensive line depth, you know, knock on wood, shouldn't come into too much question right there in week one. You're going to go into this game with Tyron Smith. So whether or not he finishes the game, we'll see. But offensive line depth in week one isn't necessarily something you immediately start out concerned about. And then second level in the defense, well, that is going to be a test. That's where you have to match up against Darren Waller, who by all reports is already Daniel Jones' favorite target. And they had to take him out of training camp drills to force Daniel Jones to throw the ball elsewhere. So, yeah, this team's going to test you in the middle of the field. They're going to test you with some speed over the top. And whether or not Quinn's defense with a couple of new faces in the lineup is ready to handle all that and stand up to the test is definitely going to be an exciting thing to keep an eye on for week one. Yeah, the thing with matching up with Darren Waller is that's just part of where you have some of the confidence in what Dan Quinn has been able to cook up. Um so, I you know, I think that the defense would be able to answer some of those questions. For me, I always get nervous about the offense in these early September games. Yeah, as far as the offense, I don't know, I, like I'm with you on that, but I just feel like there's so many returning faces in this lineup that, you know, the offense is just going to find a way. And that's probably way too, you know, silver and blue sunglasses of me and, arrogant almost of me to say that, you know, game one with a new play caller and all that is going to go so smooth. But I just really think that 
you know, Prescott can have the answers in this offense to be getting the ball out of his hands. And whether or not that means we're in for a track meet where the Cowboys defense slightly underperforms and we see, you know, both teams score in the 30s or not, we'll, we'll find out soon. But, yeah, I just don't see, a, you know, a big concern for this offense. I know that that was a point that you can almost bank on in Kellen Moore's system was, you know, we know how those seasons went at this point. Of course, it was start the year great. And then the biggest games at the end, they would fade. And now we're kind of taking away that sore thing of a hot start under more for the uncertainty of McCarthy. But somehow, some way, I think that we'll still be talking about in the same way we did with Kellen Moore's offense, st- starting fast, Mike McCarthy's offense, getting off to a hot start, and Brian Schottenheimer, you know, having a, a say in that as well. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let me ask you this, though, Sean. It's Dallas and the Giants week one for, like, the 15th time in the last seven years. Um, Do you think that the NFL is trying to make week one in the Giants kind of like a uh, college rivalry type game in the sense of, you know, like it's... uh, it's the fair down there, uh, the Texas State Fair. So, oh, it's the Cotton Classic. I mean, you know, the uh, a Red River Showdown. Um, do you think they're trying to do that with Dallas and New York in week one? The NFL's trying to make this into some kind of rivalry, yeah, but a um, sort of a tradition type of rivalry i love this question by the way you know a little inside baseball before i go into it of you know how we came up with the show notes for today you sent the rundown and i was still traveling back to texas so i think i was still in the baltimore airport which is the first leg of my trip here on sunday when you sent this and you know sometimes i need a little bit of clarity on some of the topics you come up with and other times i just kind of i'm like yeah, i'm not gonna ask the clarity we'll just run with it live and see if we can make some good radio out of it so this is one that i immediately just had ideas for and you know, I didn't know exactly what you were thinking on the topic but I'll go first here and I love this topic because yeah I do see kind of that college feel to this rivalry and I think a bigger reason for it is you know it's somewhat faceless in terms of you know you didn't have you haven't had as much consistency when it comes to NFC East rivals for the Cowboys to play in who they see when they play the Giants as opposed to you know the Eagles you can remember so many matchups of in the Romo and Donovan McNabb 
years and that just went on forever right and you know Washington was always kind of the you know the team that you just beat up on that we all say it's a corset at this point too but we all say you know a, a series can't be a rivalry until one team fights back and well Washington never really had that consistent fight back but yeah Dallas New York there's just so many special things about it that make it do feel like that really high-end college rivalry it's just you know instead of being one or two faces in the lineup that define it. It's more just about, you know, the helmets, right? The colors. You just see the blue and silver and the blue and red out there in the field, and you know the type of game you're going to get. It's probably going to be close. Both te- both games last year were one score between the Cowboys and Giants. It's going to be close. It's going to be a deciding play late. You don't know who the faces are every year, but it's just in your face. It's, you know, fan bases that really seem to know each other well. Of course, I have a ton of friends who are Giants fans. That just comes with, you know, being from their territory and then moving down at the Cowboys land. But as far as cities go, you know, Dallas, New York have a ton of transplants, people coming in and out. So you get the types of fans who really understand both places, much like you do in a college rivalry as well. So, yeah, I do feel that type of college feel and when it comes to Cowboys-Giants. And like I said, for myself, it gets a little bit personal every time. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to uh, in a couple of days here. Some of the same friends I was just hanging out back home with, having a good time with. Well, if we be, uh, you know, texting me how annoyed they are that they just lost to Dak Prescott and the Cowboys again because they've certainly owned this rivalry in recent history. So I do feel that big time college feel when these two teams get together, and definitely interested to hear what you have to say about uh, you know, coming up with how this game feels compared to Cowboys Eagles or Cowboys Washington. I think that it was said the best ahead of the week two uh, Monday night football encounter between the two teams on September the 15th, 2003, when Al Michaels in the copy, you know, reading the intro, he said, it's a high noon showdown under the bright big city lights tonight. And that's what I think Dallas and New York reflects the most when you have this game in MetLife Stadium. When it's, you know, the Giants coming into, um, you know, AT&T Stadium, it just feels like any old division game. You know, it may as well be Jacksonville and Tennessee. But it's the Cowboys on Broadway. You know, the Cowboys on Times Square type of thing cowboys do manhattan it's that particular cachet i think that really makes it fascinating this is one of like my not quite earliest memories of moving to austin but pretty early on in my you know process of coming down here i was working with an atb employee who i later learned later found out was a Denver broncos fan and not quite sure the context of you know how she became a broncos fan she's not a native of Colorado, she actually went to University of Texas and is a big Longhorns fan. But this ATB employee, we were talking about, you know, games I've been to and Cowboys Giants, of course, being on that list. And I was surprised she had never been to a Cowboys game because this is before I knew that that wasn't her team. So we were just talking about Texas tradition type things and her experience at UT and her experience of also following the Cowboys being in her home state and from their home state. But then I was surprised that she hadn't been to a game. So I'm like, you've never been to a Cowboys game? And, you know, she said no and then asked me what games I've been to. And I said, you know, yeah, I've seen them, you know, in Cleveland and, you know, and now, of course, in Dallas and then New York and, you know, asterisk, of course, New Jersey. But 
nobody knows that, so I just said New York. But I go, I seen him in New York, and then I paused and said, yeah, they always seem to put the New York game in December because it's freezing out. And she goes, you know, yeah, you know how much us Texans love the cold. So, you know, even people who aren't tied into this rivalry to the extent of hanging on every game like me and you and our listeners and the entire BTB universe do, even people who aren't fans of either team understand, like, what it means when the Cowboys go up to New York because, you know, December you have the Christmas tree up and everything. And I know when, when it's a primetime game, they always show it before those two teams play if it is in December. So, yeah, it is a big deal to have the Cowboys coming up there every year. And it wouldn't be as big of a deal if the Giants didn't hold up their end of the rivalry to make these games competitive and really intriguing. And they've certainly done that, especially in recent history under Brian Dable these last two games in 2022. And that's why... The people will tune in, and that's, you know, also why it's good for the NFL that the Giants and the Cowboys, you know, were competitive last year and at least won a playoff game each. And, you know, now they're the both teams that are looking to dethrone Philadelphia as opposed to um, just kind of rebuilding or middling type teams. And I think that that really plays into it as well. But for the Cowboys, they're really looking at some of their older players to have, you know, seasons that live up to their reputation. And I'm asking you, Sean, do you think that they're, the Cowboys are banking a little too much on the success of their older players. Here's what I mean by that. You have um, Zach Martin. He's 32 years old, same as ages Tyron Smith. Those guys are your anchors there on your offensive line. Stephon Gilmore is also 32. They're looking at him to lock it down opposite of Trayvon Diggs, do you think maybe they're just asking for a little too much with their um, 30-year-old glass? Yeah, maybe early in the season. And again, that's a point where we shouldn't put you know too much expectation and pressure on this team in terms of what we'll see from them when the games mean even more towards December and January. But you know, I'm glad you mentioned the ages and who we're actually talking about in this context of older starters, you know, Zach Martin and Tyron Smith, both being 32 on the offensive line as your oldest starters on that side of the ball. So, you know, depth-wise, let's start there for what you have. And, you know, I get the case that maybe you have almost too much of a youth movement when it comes to offensive line depth. Yeah, we should be excited about Asim Richards and TJ Bass making the team as a UDFA out of Oregon, who was a standout tackle in college, but flashed a guard in this preseason, and we know how much they love that versatility. So now you've got a two-for-one player as a UDFA. So, you know, almost too much of a youth movement, where if you have to count on these guys too early, it definitely could cause a problem. But down the road, you have to be excited about, you know, development, what they could be, guys like Richards and Bass and, you know, let's go even and ball when it comes back from injury. So it could come into place as long as you're not counting on, you know, any of them right there in week one against the Giants for your offensive line depth. And then defensive side of the ball, you mentioned Stephon Gilmore. He is the oldest starter at 32, of course. And 
the tandem that he expects to have with Diggs could lead to you know, a lot more targets towards the middle of the field, which is something I recently wrote about for bloggingtheboys.com. Targets at the middle of the field, you have some sorting out to do there when it comes to your linebacker spots and and saw a corner as well, and even in safety. But we, you know, we almost forgot for a second about Deron Bland. I mean, he was a player that was had enough confidence in his coaching staff to basically be on ice all preseason, and that was the theme of the preseason as far as this team knowing what they have and basically just trying to stash it for week one. The best players weren't the ones that were on the field for these games against the Jaguars, Seahawks, and Raiders. They were the ones that were on the sideline knowing that their best you know, football needs to be way ahead of them starting now when the games count. So, Darrell Bland was firmly in that category. Yeah, he did get some action in a couple of the games, very limited, but he's firmly in the category of players that they're expecting to have a big role and, and perform if you see a higher volume of targets to the inside in the slot, like we might see. They even traded a player that was playing well in the slot as well in Kelvin Joseph to get an outside cornerback. I'm sure a lot of fans are like, you know, why do we make this move with the Dolphins just to flip cornerbacks? And it's because, I think, of Duran Bland and the confidence you have in him to basically play a spot where he was going to be above Kelvin Joseph and then where's your spot for Joseph other than special teams. Instead, you get another outside guy and that gives you more insurance if, you know, to the point you're making, Gilmore has a game where he's struggling or he shows his age or anything like that. You want the death on the outside more because you trust you have what you have inside with Bland and Israel McQuamu can match up there with Aaron Coase. The list kind of goes on from there as far as guys that you can trust on the inside, but none more so than Bland. Demarcus Horridge is the second oldest Defensive starter, defensive end, left end, of course, and you know, still one of the best run defenders in the NFL. That's valuable for a team that's trying to put more of an emphasis on that and build this defensive line from the interior out of Almazi Smith. But pass rush is easily the deepest group on this team. We've been talking about that since a season ago. You know, season two, we're hitting yards. Go back and listen. That was the theme then. So it's not like this thing all falls on orange. Of course, Parsons is huge in that regard, but it's not just those two either it goes on. So, yeah, I think they're well built to, you know, hedge what they have as far as old starters with young guys who are a little bit unproven right now, but you give them an opportunity, you give them the the benefit of the doubt with the way this team drafts and finds talent in the York of their draft position to say, do we have a player here or not? And more times than not, the Cowboys do. So, yeah, I don't see a huge concern with, you know, the age of this roster or any position where they're going to be held back by an injury that they can't uh, account for. When you look at the San Francisco 49ers last year, um, you know, George Kittle, he was 29 years old. You had Fred Warner, he was 26. Charvarius Ward was 26. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, 26. Uh, Nick Bosa, 25. And I think that's where the success for the Cowboys will similarly have to come is, yeah, I mean, you've got these crown jewels uh, in terms of, like I said, their reputation with Tyron Smith and Zach Martin. Now, Martin. Um, you know, he had real good attendance last year in terms of games. It, Tyron Smith, though, he was someone that was missing for majority of the year, yet they were still able to uh, fix 
that particular problem with Tyler Smith playing so well and then having the Jason Peters option. Uh, so it's, I think, going to be the rising to the occasion if these guys aren't able to um, deliver on their reputations that will sell things for the Cowboys. And, um, you know, it uh, might be a situation like with the T.Y. Hilton where they come in and they've shown younger players just how to approach the game. And, you know, they have some big plays and save the days here and there themselves. But it's how they've showed the youngsters how to approach the game that will have the lasting effects into December and January because that's really the only way that Dallas is going to go anywhere is if the younger players take ownership of it. Not so much. I mean, yeah, I mean, Dak Prescott, he can lead so much, but at a certain point, it's got to be those guys in year two, in year three, uh, on expiring deals that take this thing to the next level because it's kind of that peasantry, that bold peasantry that really takes teams to the next level, not so much their superstars. Yeah, I've changed my stance on this in recent years, but at this point I personally think that, you know, looking at roster ages and the mix of ages in particular on the roster as it correlates to success and if a team can contend or not, at this point I personally think that's one of the most overrated things in this sport. You know, I get trying to analyze things from every angle possible and having all these data points that we have access to as NFL fans, which is great, but, you know, we can all, we, we might as well go back to our, what are our favorite football cliches and dig, you know, dust off a deep off season topic. Cause there was nothing else to talk about. And now there's so much to talk about that we don't have to do stuff like that, but we might as well dust that off and just go amend it and throw in, you know, you have to have the right mix of veterans and young players. You know, the team that wins it is the team that's playing the best football between the lines when it matters in January and February. I mean, that's it. If that takes, if it takes veterans, that know how to do it already without having to be motivated, you know, as much by coaches or anything like that, then sure, go do it. Great. If it takes, you know, young players that don't know any better that aren't afraid to make mistakes and can get it done as well and have coaches motivating them that are also very good at that, then that can get it done as, as well. But yeah, I personally think that, you know, it's just such a cliche at this point of, you know, we just check that box of, oh, we'll just see them as a great mix of, Veterans and young players, they must be a contender as opposed to, oh, this team's too old, this team's too young, so they're not in that sweet spot yet. We just look for this, you know, hodgepodge mix of having veterans and young players without even caring about what position group they're at or, or all the old guys at one position where you then you will have an issue if one of them goes down or they spread out. I mean, there's so much nuance that goes into that. that yeah, it is a nice thing to be able to say about the Dallas roster because we'll take anything we can get in terms of what's what's it going to take to get this team over the top for the first time in 27 years. But yeah, I think other than that, it's somewhat overrated when it comes to you know the complexity of your roster as age-wise as it relates to contending in the playoffs. All right, well, let's go ahead and take a look at some 
really aged people in the Cowboys' birthdays this week. <laughs> yeah. Um, Nobody too old this week, but Terrence Williams is about to make me feel Yeah, 45 old, years old on Monday. Um, Pro Bowl cornerback for the Cowboys from 03 to 2011. Um, then another 45-year-old, Leonard Davis, on Wednesday. Uh, he played guard from 07 to 2010. Uh, Friday, Eric Williams, who would have made the Pro Football of Fame if not for a car accident he had. In um, 1994, he turns 55 on Friday. And then on Saturday, you know, to go along with Cowboys-Giants, week one, Terrence Williams, get out of bounds! That's the first play I thought of when I saw his name on here, along with, you know, wondering how he's 34 and how that makes me feel. But Uh, Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, 34 years old on Saturday. And I forget, were you, like, like you were watching the game, course, right? Yeah. Week one, 2016. What were you thinking when he was doing that? Oh man, I'd have to, you know, think back. I forget who I was watching with. Uh, you know, my dad may, may have been a part of that. And he's a most, you know, he's a mostly a Giants fan going up that way. But seeing how much of an interest I've taken in the Cowboys over the years, he's followed them as well just to, you know, have that common ground. So, when it's head to head, there's no doubt who he's rooting for. So that must have been a conflicting moment, you know, watching the game end on a mental error, which you never like to see, you know, no matter who you're watching. But yeah, I'm sure I was thinking, you know, just hurry to the line and let's get another playoff. Because if you remember right, it wasn't exactly just like, oh, automatic, the game's over because he got tackled and bounced. There was a chance you could scramble to the line and run another play, and they tried to, but it didn't work. So I'm sure I was just thinking, you know, well, let's make up for it. Let's, let's do something here. And. Uh, you know, somehow find a way to scramble and recover from that, but there was no recovering and the game ended in unfortunate fashion. Yeah, a 14-yard reception down at the New York 40-yard line. No timeouts. Theoretically, you could have thrown a Hail Mary or attempted some, yeah, Dan Bailey. So, you you know, some 60-something-yard field goal because you're only down by one. And that's the only win the Giants have perpetrated in the whole rivalry on opening day. And it was on Tom Landry's birthday, no doubt. And those are your your Cowboys' birthdays this week. I would take both that nugget at the end and the fact that the Eastery Band blessed MetLife Stadium with Three shows on Labor Day weekend before the Cowboys come in there to as you know all good signs for uh, what's about to happen for us Cowboys fans at Week One. MetLife Stadium about to be firmly in the uh, you know in the spotlight for Week One. It's Cowboys Giants, but then also Jets Bills on nine eleven Monday prime time debut for Aaron Rodgers. So back to back prime time MetLife games uh, to really show off that stadium, but it'd be hard to show it off more than uh, what Springsteen was able to do there. This week with three shows at his age was certainly impressive. So, hey, next time we talk, Mark, it'll be a post-game show. We've, you know, I've been in Montana and Josie, and you've been all around. And like I said, we've stretched the absolute limit of what we can do in the off season. We've talked about everything from microwave popcorn to our favorite football cliches. So, all of that kind of gets put aside, and we get to just talk what happens between the lines for the next seventeen weeks. So, you know, can you believe it's already here? Yes and no, and. That's just the way time is. You just wonder where it went. And I'll tell you where it goes. 
it is spent waiting. That's where time goes. Well, you know, one of the one of the things that Springsteen really, if if you, if you had to say there was a theme for his concerts, and I don't want to get too you know dark here because it wasn't dark, but stick with me for a second. You know, one of the themes really was, you know, that life is short basically, and you know, mortality. The history band has lost a lot of members, and he kind of understands his importance of carrying on the legacy of a lot of band members that he's had to, you know, face-to-face say goodbye to. I think the most notable that I can mention that people will know is, of course, Clarence Clemens, the terrific saxophone player that they play a great tribute video to every night. So, you know, he's had to stare down carrying on the legacy of friends that have brought him up to this point. And, yeah, like I said, that could be a dark moment of, you know, oh, why is this concert that's supposed to be upbeat taking on a dark theme and it really doesn't take on that theme. I mean yeah there's somber moments and there's there's reasons to reflect doing it and there's sadness but also the overarching theme that comes out through the music is you know seize the day yeah time might be spent waiting but is that the best way to to use it you know seize the day is definitely a theme in Springsteen's music it's a theme for how we talk about this really any NFL team that thinks they're in contention because you never know if you're going to get back. I don't know the exact stat, but the, I think it's the last, you know, at least 13 or 16 even quarterbacks that lost their first Super Bowl debut, never made it back. And so Joe Burrow is unfortunately in that category, even though, you know, we expect him back at some point, and that would mean a lot to the Bengals. And Jalen Hurts fell into that category last year. So Tease Day is an important theme around NFL front offices and locker rooms this time of year to know what they have going into the year. Dallas is a great example of that. And, you know, we'll see what they have in store for a a heated rivalry game against the Giants in week one. That's right. Seize the pork roll. (laughs) So there it is. to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.